Welcome to Season 2 of Finding Common Ground, a podcast brought to you by the Banyal Network of Uniting Churches in Australia. I'm Paul Minty, and I'm uh, broadcasting from Wurundjeri land, and I'd like to pay my respects to the Elders, um, past, present and merging. I'm gathered uh, here with Megan, Sandy and David. We'll introduce them in a second. And we're going to be talking about the broad topic of uh, the environment, the climate crisis, sustainability, and how does that fit in with our Christian faith? Uh, What distinct voices does our Christian faith bring to that? And what do we need to challenge our theology and our churchmanship um, in light of the uh, crisis of sustainability and the environment? David, welcome. Could you please introduce yourselves? Sure, Paul. Yeah, my name is David Landis-Morse. Um, I grew up in Tasmania, actually, on a farm, which is probably relevant to how we look at environment. And I now live here in Melbourne as well. And um, I come from a perspective of, of not really being sure of how we're responding to the environment as well as what we should. I often wonder whether or not the, que- the church has been dragged a little unwillingly to the table. Um, and uh, so I'm curious as to, to uh, how we base a response um, both theologically and culturally, to uh, the um, rapidly growing climate crisis that we're, we're experiencing around the world. So uh, that's probably enough from me today. Thanks, David. We're going to enjoy having those chats over the few weeks to come. And we're joined by um, Megan. Um, Megan, how are you doing and what's your interest in the uh, climate crisis? Oh, I'm Megan Not I'm part of the Rosanna congregation of the Banyal Network and I'm also part of the um, climate Action Group of the network. And I came into that because of my concern for the environment and a bit late to the table from a network perspective going into this and starting up the Climate Action Group, but not necessarily from a, an individual point of view. I know when I, when I built our first house nearly 40 years ago, we had solar panels on our roof then. Wow. <laughs> I'm trying to put solar panels on Heidelberg now. So I'm very interested in creation, the fact that we need to let the whole of God's creation flourish, and we're certainly not doing it now. And I think as a church community, we need to stand up and do something about it, not just individually. Here, here. And we're also joined by Sandy Brodine. Good evening, Sandy. How are you? Hi, how are you? I'm great, thanks. It's lovely to be here. I'm part of the ministry team of the Banyal Network. I'm really passionate about the environment and very concerned about where we're going as the human race and, and wanting to improve all of those things, but also really interested in the theological questions because I think we do these things not just because we're concerned about the environment, but because God calls us to. So I think I'm, I'm wanting to explore that end of things, I think. Fantastic. And uh, folks, over the uh, six episodes of this season two of Finding uh, Common Ground, we're going to be looking at uh, some Bible readings for uh, the four middle episodes. We're going to take them from a um, suggested set of readings uh, sourced um, from the Green Christian Network, which is an international network, and in particular um, readings suggested by an Australian uh, cohort of that. Um, 
just so that you know, listening at home, uh, those of us who are participating in the Banyan Network are probably going to be looking at these readings as well in our um, congregational life um, as we gather on Sundays and, and, and other times we'll be looking at these readings. So this podcast is linked to a whole community of people um, looking at similar ideas from the Bible. And we'll get into them um, starting next week. But in this episode, um, yeah, we want to uh, air some of the questions, um, some of our concerns, some of our motivations. Um, Megan, we were chatting about this before and you're highlighting that it's a, a real justice issue um, coming in to address climate change. Um, who is going to be hurt most as, as the climate continues to change? I think um, those who um, are disproportionately suffering uh, as a result of the damage on the climate are going to be the ones who are impacted the most. And I think as, um, as Christians... Um, we should be stepping up from a justice perspective as um, people who need to do something about it so that we can assist those people who are less able to um, do it for themselves. Yeah, fantastic. And our two great commandments is uh, loving our neighbours as ourselves, which that speaks to really strongly, And but also... Um, Loving our God. And Sandy, God as a creator and Christ as a cosmic um, entity, these are important theological concepts. Are they some of the things that you bring to these kind of questions? Well, they, they certainly are. Um, I, I think one of the things that I, I would hope that over the course of particularly we're looking at readings from the Old Testament about um, from the book of Job rather than the creation story in Genesis, it will help us to see God as as being um, intimately connected with creation and and with us um, as co-creators and being involved in God's creation. Um, if you start looking at from the point of view of Genesis, where God tells us to you know care for the earth and subdue it and and that sort of thing, um, then we tend to have a different perspective. But if we talk about God being the creator of the world um, in an ongoing way, and there's lots of creation stories right across both the Old Testament and the New Testament, then this really helps us to see the kind of God that would call us to respond with justice in the way that Megan's pointed out, um, but, but that's justice for the whole of creation. And likewise, Jesus, you know, if you look at the start of John's Gospel where it says in the beginning was the Word and the Word was God and the Word was with God, then we have this sense of Christ being there from the very, very beginning of time um, and calling us into relationship to follow him which is also a call to, to um, care for the creation. Yeah, and I think that's a, a set of themes that we'll be um, keeping harking back to um, over the course of, of the season, and I'm looking forward to that. Particularly there's some um, readings from Job and, and such that we'll have a look at together. Now, David, you mentioned before in your intro that um, it seemed like sometimes we come at this a little bit too little too late. Uh, those of them, uh, the, our audience and listening land won't see just how nicely you and I uh, are dressed tonight. Uh, so we're doing pretty well. Yeah, how do you feel about um, a bunch of pretty well-off, pretty comfortable people talking about these kind of issues? Yeah, look, for me, um, I, I think part of our honesty needs to be that as Christians sometimes we, we're driven to an issue 
by what our surrounding society is dealing with and and we can think about those in terms of you know same-sex marriage or or um, native reconciliation or a whole bunch of different issues that often it feels like we we respond to rather than having been the instigators of and um, so for me I, I I want us to be honest about the fact that sometimes we we do get pulled in. Um, this is not to denigrate these, these courses in any way, shape or form. They're something that we should have been first at the table with, if you like, um, if we're talking about it from a sense of justice um, and fairness perspective. But I think it also is important for us to, to examine our underpinning thinking, our unthought out biases that we have as a church, as a, a part of society, as, if you like, a, a nice polite group of people that have been recognised by governments and, and have been given roles by governments in the past uh, in the way that society functions, and to sort of dissect those and say, well, look, what does that mean going forward for us? Um, have we unwillingly bought into power structures that have left us less capable of, of criticising unjust behaviours? And, uh, and to be aware of that so that we are being honest about who we are and being clear about what it is that we need to address when we're talking about change. They're great questions. And, Megan, um, you understand that the Uniting Church has been active in this space for quite a while and, and do link that the activity around sustainability and climate action to other justice issues. Um, so where did you come across um, some of these ideas within the church and how far back do you think they go? Uh, probably... As part of the Joint Church Council, and currently there was a letter from a presbytery identifying that the um, trying to get congregations to all try and do something to address the climate crisis. And I was thinking the same thing at the same time. So I thought it was time we did something as a network. So I started up the Climate Action Group. But then when I looked further and said, well, you know, where, where am I coming from if I'm coming, if I'm coming to this from an Uniting Church perspective as, as a Uniting Church? The Uniting Church had put out a, a pamphlet on our vision for a just Australia in July last year. In that it identifies seven foundations for a just society. The first one is a first people's heart and the second one is the renewal of the whole of creation. And when you look at that, the Uniting Church, right from the basis of union in 1992, where it says, God in Christ has given to all people in the church the Holy Spirit as a pledge for the and foretaste of that coming reconciliation and renewal, which is the end of view for the whole of creation. Church's call is to serve that end. And it, they've made a statement. The Uniting Church has sort of identified that the whole of creation um, is our responsibility and we have to look after it and renew it as we, we need to do now. And so from that perspective, I think it's important that not just the Uniting Church but all, all of the people in the Uniting Church have to sort of stand up and, and look at what their faith means and act on their faith. They're really challenging concepts and really comprehensive when we look at all those um, seven circles t together and um, understand the, the vitalness of, of climate action as, as part of that, um, which I find really challenging. And, um, Sandy, how do you um, see these things playing out? So, so further to what Megan just said, um, at the last um, assembly meeting, 
the Assembly um, passed a motion to take seriously the concerns of particularly First Nations um, people, but also a lot of our islander brothers and sisters in, in our more, more in our multicultural church with regard to this. And as Megan said, a lot of those islander people are the ones who are going to be, you know, the first and most badly impacted by this. Um, when when the Uniting Church put a preamble to the Constitution of the Uniting Church, um, it it's states right up the very front that through this land God had nurtured and sustained the first peoples of this country, the Aboriginal and Islander peoples, who continue to understand themselves to be the traditional owners and custodians, meaning sovereign in the languages of first peoples, of these lands and waters since time immemorial. So I think, you know, that that's the kind of level of import that the church is wanting to put on on us actually taking this seriously since the Uniting Church began because it was part of some of the really important original documents of the Uniting Church. The preamble came up um, a couple of decades ago, so it's a later document, um, but right up to the most recent assembly. So there's a really push from the whole Uniting Church on this. That's really encouraging to hear and hopefully we get to unpack that more and more as we get through each of the episodes, get through some of the details. So I'm curious though about some of the real underpinnings and how far back this goes. So we associate climate change particularly with industrialisation and we're going to be looking at um, biblical texts that come from a couple of thousand years ago. Uh, could Could the writers of the Bible have comprehended and the kind of damage that we've done to the environment in recent times. How could we possibly go back to such ancient ideas, ancient texts, and get anything that's, um, you know, relevant to this kind of um, crisis that we've got now? Um, Why would we look to our theology? Why would we look to our tradition, which goes back a couple of thousand years, to um, address something that's so current, so immediate, so modern, um, and so foreign to to the, the experience of the people who, who who wrote the Bible and and really lived out most of the tradition that um, Christianity um, draws upon. Um, I'm sure we get to unpack that as we go forward. But here's one quick question for you guys. So the Western world industrialised. Uh, Western world burned a lot of coal, um, spread its economy out globally. We transport goods all over the world um, so we can exploit labour price differences globally, and that's all part of, you know, what the Western world did. And the Western world's ostensibly a Christian basis that lays claim to our Judeo-Christian ethics as its basis, um, often calls upon Christian stories, Christian ideas to, um, you know, justify what it does or, or to add a sense of spirituality to what it does. So how how can the part of the world that is so much the problem also be the part of the world where we see Christianity so publicly talked about and used and is, in fact, some of the Christian ideas um, actually driving uh, the climate crisis? Sandy, what do you think about that? I think one of the things that's when you start thinking about the start of the Industrial Revolution, it comes also at the time um, of colonial expansion. So you end up with issues of slavery and the damage that was done through the kind of Indian subcontinent and the West Indies down through the islands off um, Bermuda and, and Jamaica and all those places. And and the idea then is that one of subduing nature and taking control of it and, and that being something that helps people get 
you know, all of us to get wealthy, particularly in the West. And so I think a lot of the ways that theology was understood and Christianity kind of came to be in dialogue with what was going on in the West were really quite damaging. Um, and we still live with an awful lot of the legacy of um, of that and, and we, we bear it in, in our churches, in the way our churches run. Um, we've got an awful lot of work to do to unpack and slough that off and listening to our, um, particularly our Islander brothers and sisters and our Indigenous brothers and sisters, Christians in Africa and other parts of the world, particularly the two-thirds world, will really help that. Yeah, what do you think, David? Yeah, I mean, I, I run with what Sandy said and I think we've got a lot more digging to do within our own traditions. I think we need to acknowledge the privileged positions that the church has been in, particularly within Australia, where they were allocated lands based, um, you know, on the on the supposed good that they might do. And that's not to say that they didn't do some good. I'm not trying to say that either. Um, but we need to, again, be aware of our own biases. We've bought into a power structure that we were, were um, given a position in. So uh, we were churches in Australia were, were seen as a moral voice that would do good for society. And we didn't, we, I think in many cases, we lose the capacity when we're in a power, a, a position of power, to question how and why we got there and to question how and why we utilise that power. So the church in Australia often ended up being, you know, comparatively wealthy um, through no particular good of their own, but because we inherited those sorts of things. So uh, when we assume that we've somehow won that by doing the morally right thing, it becomes very difficult to ask our questions, ask questions of ourselves as to whether or not we still have a right to be there. So I think the capacity to look inwards and um, be honest about our motives uh, becomes very relevant in why perhaps we haven't uh, done more about climate change and pollution and a whole series of other questions. Why have we not asked our own heavy industry to change before this time? Yeah, thanks, David. And for me, it's uh, a salvation issue. So has the world tried to save itself by becoming prosperous? And have we let that go unchallenged? That would be something that I'd want to ponder over the next few weeks. Can our material well-doing actually save us? Can coming to a nice part of the world and having access to good things save our children? How deeply does that go? And the roots of that question? The roots of that question go right back to the Enlightenment, to the 18th century. We've been um, getting ourselves into the mess that, creates that question for a very long time very important question yeah yeah and and to unpack that i think we're also going to have to consider what we personally mean by salvation um is it a non-material thing a material thing and how do we understand god's purpose in the world so is it the saving of us or is it the reconciliation of all of creation um, is it the restoration of all the creation back to its intention, original intention? In which case, maybe those of us who are in nice suburbs, in nice towns of the world, might stand to lose out some of the uh, material goodness. But maybe that's the flip side of the um, biblical saying: you know, what good is it to um, gain a fortune but but lose your soul? To probably misquote the Bible there. So yeah, it'll be really interesting and bring in that kind of idea 
in as we look at some um, Bible passages um, over the next few weeks and, and just see if we can unpack that a bit. Job might help us with that. Wow. I never thought someone had asked me that Job would help us with something, but I'm encouraged by that. What do you think, Megan? I think the ex- exploitation of the earth, which often sees the poorest disp- disproportionately suffering the results of damage and the climate change, is a manifestation of the sin of greed against which biblical witnesses strongly warn, warn against, you know, in Job and Proverbs and the New Testament. So, you know, we've been warned. Yes, it's not as though we haven't been told, and, and the prophets in the Old Testament yeah. as well. I mean, there's a lot of the prophet, prophetic right. witness. So I asked earlier what could a bunch of writers from several thousand years ago, and Job is a very, very old piece of writing, how could they have possibly imagined the kind of destruction we've wrought upon the environment and hence how could they speak into our situation? But, Sandy, you're saying that Job might be really interesting to be reading when we talk about this. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, Job really plays with this question about, you know, um, about sin in inverted commas, about, you know, is 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 a, is a, is a good man, being, does being a good man get you salvation and all these terrible things happen to him and he's got a couple of, you know, friends who have, you know, the kind of um, pastoral care that we hope you never hear in any any church anywhere, you know, saying, well, you know, mate, you must have done something pretty bad to deserve what happened to you. Um, and in the end God kind of answers back and says, well, you know, that's not actually, to not kind of destroy the, what the podcast for the next three weeks, four weeks, but, you know, God has a different take on this um, from what people understand it as. Um, and I think that might be part of something to do with what Megan was saying about, well, it's not as if you haven't been warned. Um, also, to, to be perfectly frank, I mean, if you one of the other creation stories from the book of Genesis is the Noah story, and there's a dirty great big flood in that story. It's hardly, um, you know, environmental peace and happiness. It's a pretty full-on story. The whole of, you know, whole of creation gets wiped out. Yeah, and so, I, I mean, I'd, I'd also be saying, whilst I hear those stories as well, I think we have to be honest to say that, in many ways, I don't think many of the biblical writers could have possibly envisioned a world with quite the same population load, um, with quite the same capacity for, I mean, even thinking in terms of how dramatically the Green Revolution of the 70s changed the way we could produce food in a wide way. We really inhabit a world that is very, very, very different um, from so much that we understand of the biblical world. And, and we need to be honest about that. We need to be honest about the fact that that gives us different questions and different answers to what we might once have seen was a different world. And, again, I'd want us to be honest about the fact that we can't just necessarily pull verses from one section of that was written into a world 4,000 years ago and is suddenly incredibly relevant for us here. I think there are underpinning ideas that are still vitally important and completely relevant but I think we need to be honest about the fact that the biblical writers were writing into different situations in a world where they were seeking to move into new lands in a different sort of way than what we are asking questions necessarily about and and try not to make easy comparisons with very different worlds. That's absolutely true. I completely agree with you. Um, 
I guess you could look at some of the ways in which the imperative of justice, you know, the jubilee of actually saying we're going to kind of overthrow debt and and allow people who are suffering to actually come back and try again. Um, At Common Ground, we've talked a few times lately about tithe barns and about gleaning and and the idea that you would leave enough for the poor, the idea being... I was listening to Monica Melanchthon from the Theological College on a podcast today about another matter and she was saying, you know, Gandhi actually says it's not that we don't have enough food in the world, it's that we don't, you know, we don't share it. So it's not as though the answers aren't there in those texts and in, you know, I mean, Gandhi's a Hindu so it's a different religion, but, you know, the answers are there um, if we look for them and they're pretty straightforward about greed and not sharing and but yes, you're right. The the sheer volume of of the human, you know, the number of humans on the earth that's almost unsustainable is a very large part of the problem now. Yes, it's such a big problem that I suspect it is something that's to do with faith. Uh, it's something to do with our fundamental way of looking at the world. It seems a much bigger problem than something that can just be tackled with a a couple of simple principles and a and a few ethical stances. I think it really goes to the heart with how we perceive the world around us, um, how hopeful we are, how generous we manage to make ourselves um, in the light of, you know, fear for ourselves, fear for our families. So these are all things that that faith speaks to very strongly. So, yeah, I'm encouraged by this conversation that um, journeying with the Bible and uh, with you guys and some of our other guests over the next week, six weeks, is going to be really fruitful. Um, I think it's a great conversation to have that really addresses uh, some of the urgency around the climate crisis and um, environmental sustainability in general. Yeah, so I'm really encouraged and excited um, for the next few weeks. Uh, We're going to wrap up our introduction here, folks. So thank you for joining us um, and listening in. Um, Tune in each week um, as uh, a slightly different uh, group of people gather together. Uh, look at some Bible readings, um, bring questions of faith uh, to the climate crisis and uh, wrestle with uh, how can we um, find a way forward that's really effective and at the same time make sure we get some solar panels up on our uh, church buildings as quickly as possible because one thing we can do is get ourselves to net zero emissions um, as soon as we possibly can. So thanks for listening and we'll sign off for tonight. Say goodnight, folks. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thanks. Bye.